This episode is brought to you by Just Women's Sports. Only 4% of sports coverage is dedicated to women's sports, and Just Women's Sports is here to change that. For all the latest news in women's sports, go to JustWomenSports.com, and be sure to sign up for their excellent newsletter. Welcome to Legendary Bites, a podcast dedicated to two things we love, sports and brevity. I'm Seth. I'm Charlie. Each episode, we'll bring you a bite-sized sports story in under 15 minutes that we find fascinating, important, or just plain absurd. Now, with brevity in mind, let's get into it. Charlie, what do we got today? Okay, today we're going to tell you the story of how a group of women went from working in a factory to setting a soccer attendance record that stood for almost a century, and how that success led to women being banned from the sport. Brief programming note to start this pod off. This story is about an English soccer team. Over there, they call it football. We Americans call it soccer. Most of our audience is American, so we'll be saying soccer throughout this episode. So sorry to you lot who are offended by that. That was disgusting, and I'd prefer that I never had to hear it again. That accent could get me into Juilliard, and you know it. (laughs) So when we think about the great women's soccer teams from history, we often think about the U.S. teams led by Mia Hamm and today by Megan Rapinoe and Carly Lloyd. Or the Brazilian giants led by Marta, and the modern Lyon dynasty in France, who's rattled off the last five Champions League wins in a row. One team that is rarely mentioned is the Dick Kerr ladies. They're without a doubt one of the greatest and most important soccer teams that you've probably never heard of. Let's take you back to Boxing Day in 1920. By the way, Boxing Day, it's the day after Christmas for all you American Yanks. I said no more accent, please. <laughs> Juilliard, Charlie, Juilliard. So the fans at Goodison Park, uh, where Everton men's team usually plays, are packed into the stands like sardines for a massive women's soccer match. The capacity crowd of 53,000 people fill every seat, and there are another 14,000 people peeking through the gates outside. For all you math majors out there, that's 67,000 people showing up to watch this game. Nerd! The crowd is lively from the get-go, and the match is excellent. The Dick Kerr ladies, that's spelled Dick, Kerr, win 4-0 against St. Helens on the backs of a second-half hat-trick by Captain Alice Kell. When the joy of the day subsided, it was clear something had happened here, and the action on the field was only secondary. Fast forward a year, and the unthinkables happened. Women had been banned from playing professional soccer. The English Football Association, which we'll call the FA from here on, said that the game was too strenuous for women to play. This is a full 10 years before Jackie Mitchell is banned by Major League Baseball. And before we get to the why of this ban on women's soccer, let's talk about how we got here. And to do that, you have to start with the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand and the onset of World War I. Okay, so World War I's underway, and England needs to build up its military, so it constructs a series of munitions factories across the country. With the country sending many of its men off to war, the women of England are the ones who have to staff much of the factories. You know, these factories also have men, but far and away, it's the place where women are most involved in the war effort. So those women are building the bombs, bullets, etc., that are going to fight the Kaiser and his crew in the trenches of Europe. It's grueling and dangerous work in these factories, and to help build morale and have some fun in their downtime, they start playing soccer. The men that were in charge of the operations discouraged them from playing, but they did it in any way, and after a while, it was clear that soccer was there to stay. 
So the women of the Dick Kerr and Company Munitions Factory in Preston form a team. And after a few practices and scrimmages, they decide to take on their male co-workers. The result? That was lost to history. But I think we can infer that the women won because after this match, the Dick Kerr ladies were born. And word gets around that this team has not only been started, but might be quite formidable as well. The war continues, and one thing becomes very evident. With all the resources going towards the war effort, there aren't enough resources at home to take care of many of the soldiers that come back. So the women working in the factories across the country respond by organizing a series of fundraisers. They'll play one another in soccer, sell tickets to watch, and the money they raise will be used to help feed, clothe, and care for the soldiers coming back from the war. So it's not just the Dick Kerr ladies playing soccer. Most munitions factories created women's soccer teams. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And most of them have their teams, and they're all challenging each other to these matches. And on Christmas Day, 1917, the first match takes place. And the Dick Kerr ladies play against another factory, and they emerge victorious. But more importantly, 10,000 people attend, and they raise the equivalent of $50,000 in today's money for the veterans. I don't know, Jack. This just doesn't feel right. Bob, it's for charity. And if you don't do it, I'll have MSNBC tell the world you grew up in England. But I'm so identified with New York, you bloody tosser. The war ends in 1918, but the Dick Kerr ladies and many other women's soccer teams continue to play. Not only because they're good as hell, but also because more money is needed for veterans. Okay, so run me through the luminaries of the Dick Kerr ladies team. Well, we got Alice Kell. She captains the squad and spearheads their stout defense. Lily Parr plays on the wing and is the center of their attack. Now, Lily is a legend and a chain smoker. Supposedly part of her pay at the munitions factory was in cigarettes by her request. Legendary move. There's also Jenny Harris, who is the smallest woman on the team, but was nonetheless a prolific goal scorer. This is a stacked team. And after a few years going around England playing matches and whooping butts for charity, the Dick Kerr ladies decide to take their show on the road. Now, Charlie, remind me again, how do you go from being a good team to a great team? You got to win on the road, Seth. You, You gotta win on the road. And in 1920, they play against a collection of French women's teams in Paris. This, by the way, is the first recognized women's international match in history. So after playing these French teams in England, you know, they get 25,000 people in attendance at one of these. The Dick Kerr ladies head to France for a tour. The first time that's ever happened in women's soccer, and the whole thing just totally blows up. They're a hit. Traveling across the country, playing French teams, and packing stadiums along the way. The buzz grows, and it grows, and it grows, and by the time they head home, they are a sensation. Born of England, but really taking off in France. And the Dick Kerr ladies come home to a ton of fanfare after winning every one of their matches. Now, this Dick Kerr ladies team is great on so many levels. Not only are they dominant and drawing crowds larger than many men's games, but they're growing the sport for women, raising tons of money for wounded veterans, and they're all still working full-time in the munitions factory. Yeah, so they're a really big deal heading into the 1920 Boxing Day match where they draw a record crowd. In total, 67,000 people show up for the match, with 14,000 of those being forced to wait outside and watch through the gates. The men's teams who played there the day before actually drew about half as many fans to the park. Not only that, the women's match raises 3,000 pounds, which is the equivalent of $200,000 in today's money, which they donate to the wounded veterans. At this point, the FA, which runs English soccer, is faced with a decision. Soccer has been almost exclusively for men up until the Dick Kerr ladies started balling. 
Do they embrace women, make them a regular feature of the sport in the country? And remember, there's now very good evidence that people want and would pay to watch them play. The FA is also worried because the women's games are starting to draw more people than the men's games. The men in charge of the association don't like this because, you know, it threatens the existing order of things, which is pretty good for them. The FA has also just created a third division of soccer clubs, nearly doubling the size of the men's professional league. That's a lot of mouths to feed. With these women now drawing so many people, the men running the FA decide to take a stand to stop it, and they ban women from men's stadiums. You can't crush a soul here. That's what life on Earth is for. The FA's ban disallowed women from playing in the top-tier men's stadiums ever again. At the time, these are the only large venues in the country, so if you wanted to get fans to come to a game, there really aren't that many places to play besides these venues. There was money to be made here. There was a commercial opportunity. The players loved playing, the fans loved watching, and yet misogyny won out. And the FA justifies his ban on similar grounds to what a separate set of men said about Jackie Mitchell several years later. They pull in a bunch of quack doctors to claim the sport's too strenuous for women and could do undue damage to their bodies. And that allowing them to play threatens their ability to have children, which for these men is the only value that they think these women provide to society. These same women that both powered the war effort with their brawn and intelligence and had been entertaining people across the continent with their athleticism at the same time all while raising big sums of money for wounded veterans. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. So women are banned from playing soccer, and when you combine that with the diminishing need for munitions factories, most all of the women's teams stop playing. But do you know who didn't stop playing? Who are the Dick Kerr ladies for 200? Correct. The Dick Kerr ladies continue to play. They don't need the men's professional fields. They had actually bought their own a couple years prior, and after the ban in 1921, the Dick Kerr ladies play for another 44 years, dominating the sport and playing all around the world. Yeah, they play men's teams in America. They whoop the best Scottish women's team in 1937, which leads to the Dick Kerr ladies being named world champions. At one point, they won 200 matches in a row. One player, Lily Parr, the chain smoker with a rocket leg, goes on to score 980 goals in her 32-year career for the Dick Kerr ladies. In 2019, a life-size statue of Parr was unveiled at the National Football Museum in Manchester. She's the first female player with a statue there. You hear that, kids? You want to be successful? Smoke a bunch of cigarettes. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> so without the ability to play in the country's largest stadiums, the game does go stagnant, and eventually it kind of withers up altogether. The Dick Kerr ladies hold on as long as they could, but eventually are forced to disband in 1965. And the timing of that disbanding is ironic, as England wins the World Cup a year later in 1966, and the fans are hungrier than ever for more soccer. A few years after that, 1969, the ban on women starts to get lifted when a separate entity, the Women's Football Association, is set up to defend women's place in the sport. A couple years later, in 1972, the first Women's World Cup is launched. Despite, you know, the efforts of the Dick Kerr ladies, after many decades of disinvestment, the ban, women's soccer essentially has to start from scratch at this point once the ban's lifted. They struggle to get funding from their countries and sponsors, most of which, again, are run by men, didn't see the potential for the game. Everyone, intentionally or otherwise, forgets about the success of the Dick Kerr ladies until one day they all can't ignore it any longer. That they can't. See, the Dick Kerr ladies match at Goodison on Boxing Day was the most widely attended women's soccer match for over 90 years. In the 2012 Olympics, Great Britain faced off with Brazil at Wembley Stadium, and their attendance record was finally broken, 
more than 70,000 people attended that match. And in the Olympic final that same year, the U.S. women beat Japan in front of more than 80,000 people. Yeah, and since then, there are actually too many well-attended matches to even name. And the Dick Kerr ladies record has kind of been assigned to the history books because it's been broken so many times. As the Dick Kerr ladies showed, people want to attend these matches. People will pay to attend these matches. Set aside the moral issue of equal pay, which is obviously the most important one, and you're faced with a raw economic reality that despite the disinvestment, despite all the marketing dollars spent promoting the men's game, and despite their clear ability to draw a large number of fans, the men in charge still don't pay women their true worth. Things are changing, things are getting better, but the fight continues. If you take anything away from the story of the Dick Kerr ladies, take away the idea of their perseverance. These women who spent their weeks building bombs for the war and their weekends not only entertaining the country, but also raising money for the wounded. When they were told, you cannot play, they said no, and they kept playing anyways. And yet, the sport of women's soccer, right at its peak, was snubbed out. What we'll never know is what the game would have looked like if they hadn't lost a generation of fans and players to the ban. The Dick Kerr ladies certainly helped pave the way for Carly Lloyd and Megan Rapinoe to become household names. But without the ban imposed by the FA, those women and others may not have had to fight so hard to get there. You might learn something. About soccer? Nah, mate. Not about soccer. And for fuck's sake, stop saying soccer! Thank you to our producer, Patrick Buddy, to Jesse Rose for his design talents, and to Lily Parr for ripping heaters, banging goals, and apparently breaking a guy's arm on a penalty kick. Follow us on all things social at LegendaryBytes underscore for a lot more interesting nuggets from each story. While you're listening, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It's really helpful. We'd love five stars, but that's, that's your choice. And subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to get more great 15-minute stories on sports, history, and everything in between.